Good morning. Is this on, hopefully? No? I'm on. Now I am. So happy that you're in the room. So happy that you're online. Hey, welcome. Uh, I am going to encourage you to lean in. Um, I think we got a lot to go through, and I think the Lord might be speaking a lot to us today in His Word. But first, I want to start with you just a moment in prayer. Um, just earlier this week, we had a local school, Roosevelt, lose a staff member due to a tragic accident on school premises during the school day, and it completely broke my heart. Um, it really did. So I, uh, and as a church, together it did, and I, I really wanted to take a moment and just pray for that situation. I don't know too many of the details, but the beautiful part about that is we don't need to know the details to come to God and to be unified together coming to God as a church. So um, let me pray for us and open our time with that, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this morning and for bringing us here. God, thank you for um, your peace. And God, right now, we just ask for more of your peace to a scenario, to a tragic event that happened in our home. God, I pray for um, the family members who have lost a loved one. I pray uh, for the friends who have lost a friend. I pray for... um, God, I just pray for our students who have lost someone who serves them, but God, that they had served with. God, I ask that you would just bring so much peace in a time that feels confusing, and God, we trust you so deeply. And so I pray that as our church, we would embrace the community, uh, the hurting community around us, God, that we would um, draw near to those who are hurting and point them to you, God, as we point ourselves to you. So Lord, um, remind us, of your goodness in a time like this. God, you are good regardless of um, what hurts on earth. God, you're still good. We love you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me do that. Um, You know, come up here after Matt, I kind of feel like that brother at the table that's like, let's go play basketball a little bit. You know, like, (laughs) I love family moments and let me champion that for a minute because I believe the way you give generously uh, affects all of our ministries, including my own. I'm the student pastor here, so I work with 6th through 12th graders. I'm the student pastor here, so I work with 6th through 12th graders. It's my favorite job ever. I also work with young adults. So the young adults in the room, I never forget you. I just don't mention that always. I'm sorry. Young adults, I love you too. Uh, maybe we should give a moment for that too. I work with the young adults too. So good. I do love our young adults and our next generation so much, but the way that you give actually impacts their lives deeply. And let me explain. Uh, Each and every week we see, oh, geez, so many students each and every week on Wednesday night, on Sunday night. We see our young adults on Sunday night. And uh, the way that we're able to provide and and continually um, spend in those ministry areas, not only for food and snacks to prepare our time in God's Word, um, not only for resources and things like that, um, but the way we are able just to love the community. We had a teenager on a Wednesday night, a middle schooler, who just flat out said, this is the most, uh, and I knew it was that they weren't meaning it like they don't get meals anywhere else, but this is the most reliable meal. I know I always get pizza here. I know I get this specifically. I get, I I know that when I come here, you will feed me. And I'm like, wow, God. And I asked some follow-up questions, so don't, I didn't say, oh, good, you know. I was like, well, tell me more about that, you know. And they were saying, I have other meals too from school, and yeah, I have food at home, but but I know that when I come here, you can feed me, and, and I feel so grateful for that. And I'm like, that's because of you. God 
but also you and your giving. So truly, the way that you give impacts our ministries deeply, from kids to early childhood to students to even our adult ministries. It truly, truly does. Um, I believe what you're doing is giving to what God wants to do with our church. And that, oh, God wants to do so many good things. And so I deeply encourage you with that, even though I'm the brother a little bit saying, let's go, can we play basketball? You know, yeah, I deeply encourage you with that. So how hard should we work? We should work hard. Okay, I want to pray for us. Great day. Thank you so much for coming. No, 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 I can't stop there. Uh, let me tell you about my very first job. I was a sophomore in high school, okay? And my very first job was at a lumber yard. I know, you can tell. It's great. But I, I, I worked at a lumber yard, and I, I just got my license, so I was able to drive myself there. And as I would go, uh, what I would do is I would work specifically in the yard itself. I would actually assist customers with their orders and actually help them with whatever they needed. There were other projects, too, like uh, sweeping um, the floor in our giant warehouse. Uh, there would also be things like stacking wood correctly. Believe it or not, that's a thing, okay, people? Believe it or not, that's a thing. You need to stack your two-by-fours correctly. Otherwise, they bend and they warp and all this stuff, right? But I remember one time, I'm very task-oriented. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm very, uh, like, type three on the Enneagram, achievement task-oriented. Like, give me a task. I want to get it done, like, really bad. That's, like, my thing, okay? And so task-oriented. So they gave me a task, and it was this project for an order. And what we would have to do is just cut the pieces in a certain size because they're building houses in the area, and I guess they need that certain size for something important. I don't really know. You know, believe it or not, Pastor Marty's a woodworker, so he probably would know, okay? But either way, like, they, they need it for something somewhere, okay? And so I'm cutting this wood in very specific pieces, and I remember being super early at this job, doing this task. I'm like, this is my thing. And I'd be in the warehouse, and I can kind of see, like, the drive-in area where people would come in and get uh, you know, the wood they would need if they're just buying it from store and they didn't pre-order it or anything like that. I would see people drive in and I'd be like, hey! They're like, where's the two-by-fours? I'm like, down there! I think, I'm new. <laughs> right? Until my boss pulled me aside and he said, Ross, you're doing such a great job which we all know is the beginning of just a crap sandwich, right? A little bit like, you're doing such a great job. The good part of the bread right here, the crap's coming somewhere, right? But, but, you know, your primary purpose is to help our customers. So although you do such a great job, this wood's perfectly cut. I know that was me because there was a line that said where to stop with the wood, and I would be like, yeah, perfect, you know. But your purpose is to help the customer. So when they come through, I need you to drop everything and go to them and help. I'm like, okay. So next time on the project, I'm sweeping the floor, which wasn't my favorite anyways. The first thing I'd do, whoop, and go help. You know, that's my, that's my purpose. My boss just clearly explained it, and I'm good with that. But what I realized is that in this workplace, what had happened was my boss helped me identify something, my purpose. But my purpose helped point to then my priority in my workplace. And when we talk about work, and today specifically talking about how hard we should work, and I get into a few different areas, I'm not going to answer it as, as explicitly as I did, you should work hard, but I'm going to walk through scripture with you today in hopes that the Lord might say something new to you through his word to help you understand how hard you should work for him in all areas. But I thought the same thing when it came to our work, that our purpose should point to the priorities we have in our life. So then that begs the question, 
what is our purpose? Ooh, that's such a good question, right? That is such a good question. I feel like we strive to know the answer to this question. And let me tell you, God has a lot to say about that. He actually gives us the answers. I'm going to run through uh, just your God-given purpose today, right here. It's this, what is your purpose? From your design, Pastor Matt started so well last week beginning this conversation on work, how God purposed you for that, but a few others too. Your purpose is to love and glorify God. Write that down somewhere. I guess it's important for you to walk away with love and glorify God. Second is to love others well, right? Jesus like delivers this grand, like, like this masterpiece when they say, what is the greatest commitment of them all? Ha <laughs> ha, we got you. And Jesus is like, no, you didn't really because I'm going to sum them up into two of the greatest commandments out of all, which points to your purpose. Love God and love others as yourself. And finally, Pastor Matt introducing last week that work, part of our design was to work, have dominion, the earth we live. You see that in the beginning in Genesis. Love God, love others well. Love God well, too. Love God well. Forgot the well part. Work and I believe work hard. Oftentimes when we think of work, though, if I'm being honest, we think of work for pay, right? When we think of the word work, we think of work for pay, but the concept of work, I think, is much deeper than that when it comes from our purpose that God's given us. Work isn't always for pay. Work's also not for pay. Let's think about that for a second. Our jobs which give us money, right, to afford the lives we live monetarily, work pretty easy, but it's easy, right? Work. You think of that? That's work, right? Our friendships, though, maintaining and building good friendships, honest and open friendships, what do they require? Work, right? They require work, too, to cultivate that friendship. Please tell me, like, you, like, I hope, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a friendship that didn't require some sort of work, right? Like, like, honestly, like, on your end or their end, right, there's some work involved, Marriage, building and refining and growing, and a healthy marriage requires what? A lot of work, right? Amen. Hey, I'm going to pray for your day. Thank you so much. That, I mean, that is like it, right? A lot of work, right? Even so much so, we know this because I guarantee, maybe I shouldn't say guarantee, so maybe I could be wrong, Okay. But I I bet if you go to a marriage conference, they're going to give you one really important thing to walk away with. And what might might that be? A workbook. A workbook. Right? Because they're understanding that your marriage is going to take some work. And it depends on how you come in. They might give you a few workbooks. You know, they might be like, your marriage. Actually, you know, I'm just joking. Just joking. (laughs) I'm just joking. I, I don't know. They, they may give you workbooks or not, so don't take my word for it. But uh, I, there are some workbooks, right? That, like, we understand that to have a healthy marriage, it takes some work. Our kids are no work at all. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> but our kids, right? When we engage in love and care for our kids, they take lots of work. It takes time and effort, and prayer. It takes so much work. You know, honestly, though, I sit down with God, and I'm like, Lord, if you could, though, if you could 
pay me monetarily for this work though, that would be super helpful. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm working with my kids and I'm like, it would be kind of nice, you know, not the tax side, the, the real like somehow, um, you know, in my bank account, no. But, but really, like, we work so hard to help our kids understand good and bad and what life is all about. And we work so hard to help them understand who Jesus is and their God-given purpose like we're talking through today, right? That takes lots and lots of work. Uh, check this video out real quick, and, and I want to talk a little more about it. Amen. So my daughter Della, I have a two-year-old and a three-month-old. Three-month-old isn't saying prayers like that yet, although that would be super cool if we went home and he did that. But that moment took a lot of work on our end. And I'm not here to tell you that I'm the greatest parent ever. I am not. So please, I am not by any means trying to, to, to flex on parenting right now at all. But if you're a parent and understanding what it, the work it took to help my daughter understand. She prompted that. We didn't set that up. Like, she just came up and sat on the mantle, or, or not the mantle, but sat in front of the fire, and she said, can we pray? I'm like, yeah, sure. My wife so quickly, you know, and captures this moment that took so much work, because before that, it took, it took us time and energy and sitting with her and, and praying before meals and praying before bed and asking her, who should we pray for? And, and she tells us, uh, my cousins, Liam and Grace, and, uh, you know, and she, she just prays for them right there, right? Unprompted. That takes work. Let me encourage you parents in the room. If you have a kid that's excited to come to Hope Kids, and, and you're bringing them, and you're excited, like, you're doing such good work. Like, like, I know there's so much more at home, but, like, you're getting them excited for what the church is about, right? If you have a student coming to Hope Students and they're excited, you're doing so much good work. Good, good job. Even if you have a student who, who doesn't like coming and you maybe forcefully get them to come sometimes, you're still doing so much good work. Thank you, parents, for doing so much good work. But we got to identify that when it comes to our kids, our marriages, our families, our workplace, too, it all takes work. And so we can resolve maybe that work isn't necessarily, when it comes to our design, all about being paid for it. God calls us into a greater work. Let's head to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians 3. You can grab it in the seat below you if you need a Bible. I'd love for you to read it yourself because we're about to get into God's Word. And something really cool about God's Word is He's talking to us. And what's really neat is that in this actual passage today, we can kind of find ourselves fitting in because I'm going to overview Thessalonians for you. It's three chapters. It'll take me 30 seconds. And we're going to dive into what this looks like for our lives today. So, as you're turning there, let me just tell you, here in Thessalonica, things have gotten bad. So Paul's writing to the Christians here, and specifically here, they had been persecuted badly. And so in chapter 1, we see this moment where they're facing persecution, and Paul says things like this, may God give you strength to endure, right? Like Paul's writing to them encouragements here, may God give you strength to endure. In the second chapter, they begin to get confused and overwhelmed with this idea that Jesus is returning. They're confused about when and where and what time and how much is he returning? Is he just a little bit or a lot of bit or what does that look like, right? And so you hear words like, don't be shaken, stand firm, because a lot of these people who are telling false, flat-out lies are talking to them about what it looks like for Jesus to return, and they're not focused on the truth. 
So Paul says things like, don't listen to the liars. Then chapter 3, we see where we're at today in a little bit here. But chapter 1, Paul then delivers hope despite our persecution. Chapter 2, he clarifies the day of the Lord's return. And he helps and hopefully strengthen them in this moment of confusion. Chapter 3 is our challenge today. But as I was reading through this, and I would challenge you, it's three chapters, so if you go home or if you're at home, you can open your Bible, do it right after you watch online. Just, just read through this, this, this book. It's very powerful to see how closely it looks like our, our time today, our lives today, our culture today, how we face persecution, and Paul delivers hope through Jesus, reminders we have confusion, wonderings, and, well, Jesus, what are you doing? And why are you, why are you allowing this? And when are you going to return? We have all these questions. And in a world that spouts confusion, like it's its job, right? Like everywhere in media and social media and like whatever news article you read, you know, it can kind of be a bit confusing to find the truth, the real truth. We find ourselves in this confusing time. Satan's so good at confusing then in chapter 3, we find our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica in the moment in an idle time where we'll sit with some time today. Here we go. Second Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13 says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, you gave us this rule. We gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work should not eat. We hear that some among you are a little disruptive. They are busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. We see Paul here begin to break down this idea of idleness in a time such as this for those in Thessalonica. And let me tell you really quickly here uh, that I think we face in our culture today and our churches today some idleness too. We face some laziness. We face some moments where we, fa- we face confusion and persecution, and so then we remain and step back, and we sit idly, saying, God, just work it out without me. I don't know, you know? Sitting on our hands. We have gifts. We sit on our hands. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But the first thing here Paul says in verse 6 is, is actually, right, withdrawal. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive. So what would that really means. See, Paul's not here commissioning a punishment that we should then punish those who are idle and disruptive around us, but we should create these really, really important boundaries, right? And we think naturally when we, when we come to know Jesus, we typically are working ourselves out of the sinful pattern, understanding that Jesus paid for it and called us into a new life. And so thus, think of it like this, right? We are in this sinful pattern, and we know Jesus, and we're made new. How beautiful that news, right? How beautiful that goodness, that work in us. But yet now we may have some friends who struggle with that sin we used to before. So naturally we are going to create boundaries, right? We're going to maybe not hang out with them in the places we used to because we know that in those places we may fall into the trap that is that very sin we had to crawl ourselves out of before. But then Jesus came on the scene and redeemed us from now. 
We create these boundaries, right? And so Paul here, a really harsh encouragement to withdraw, to stay away, to begin creating boundaries between you and others who work idly, who are disruptive to what God wants to do. See, I believe this is what the church should really, really do well. Because in this moment, it's not this, hey, to, to hell with you people who do those things. Like, I don't never want to know you. But on the contrary, create healthy boundaries and pray and ask and, and beg God to continue to work in your friends who might be lost. Work in our world that, that might be lost. But to continue this process of refining in ourselves a boundary. Verse 7 through 9, we see this like example Paul's delivering to imitate us that they were not idle, that they worked hard, that they actually didn't even ask for anything to eat, although they knew they could. This moment that, that we can actually follow a teacher, a writer like Paul, who was delivered by God as an example for us to live in today. Paul shares this great example of how we should work and contribute to the body, but also, also, to the world around us, how we could actually serve through the way we live, not living idly as some who are disrupting around us. Verse 10, right? Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work would not eat. Paul points out this unwillingness, and if you think of that, you know, the difference between willing and unwillingness is really, really strong. Like, you think if you're willing for something, you're going to go after it, but unwillingness is clearly pointing to idleness, See, friends, God's plan is to provide for our needs through our work. That's part of his design. That's part of the way he designed us to work, have dominion on the earth, but to provide parts of our needs. God is a God who can provide in any sort of way necessary, any way, yet he decides to engage and invite us to work hard in all we do to honor him, and thus he will continue to provide in those ways. That's part of his plan for us. I think part of his plan for us too, we often forget, is that God really wants to work not only to provide for us, but to provide an abundance through us to bless others. God not only wants to work to provide, but to actually work in us so he may work through us to impact those around us. And that might be earth-shattering because you can't be idle and become a worker for the Lord. You cannot be idle and be used right? Because remember, that idleness is the difference between willingness and unwillingness. And so, friends, like, the, the simple charge, are you willing to be used by, by God? Are you willing to use your work for His glory? And know that it's going to take some hard work in all areas to bring in full glory, to give Him all things in all ways. In verse 11 through 13, probably my favorite word, busybodies. I was thinking about this whole week. Busybodies is such a cool word, right? Busybodies. But what does that look like? Verse 11 through 13, Paul had said this idleness and, and really pointing that it becomes a source of sin in their lives where they were disruptors and they were these busybodies choosing not to work hard, this unwillingness. But let's break it down. A busybody is someone who's meddling in other people's business. Um, Typically, like I was researching a bit, like part of it is like they would meddle like to be helpful, but they were offering no help at all. So clearly just disrupting. You ever have that friend you ask you to come help you move, right? And they just might meddle a little bit. Like, you know, I, 
I remember moving from Chicago to here. I asked some awesome students to move, right? That was like my favorite part. And I asked some awesome students to come help me move. And half of them were like all in. The other half were playing my Xbox in the basement. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oof, guys, you know, I, I asked you to pack the Xbox, not play it. They're like, oh, you know. Now, now don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't define them as busybodies per se. But I'm like, pra- like thinking through that practically, like what that would look like for us to see Maybe ourselves as busybodies, like right now, maybe we're struggling with that, or maybe some friendships around us, but that's helpful, but not so helpful. Disruptive person in our life. The clear staple for a busybody, though, um, I was thinking of and, 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 and read on was, was gossip. A busybody can be one who gossips. And I was even convicted with that. I think we all have our fair share of gossip at times that we partake in, that we create. And so 1 Peter 4.15 says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler or this busybody we're talking about. God calls us to work hard in all ways, in all things, even the ways we don't get paid, right? So we may not become in the sinful pattern of meddling or busyness, bodiness. But Paul's ultimate charge here is to live according to the purpose that is actually within you. How deeply and encouraging, convicting charge we find ourselves in today. I think that in order to give honor to God in the way we live our lives, we must, we must, my friends, reflect a good and hard work ethic in all that we do, even those things at home. It can't only just stay at your jobs and your workplaces. It's got to be reflected in your whole life. So based on these truths, what are some priorities then, right? Because our purpose points to our priorities. And um, like I said, I want to begin to help you see this journey that you might be on with God with answering the question of how hard you should work. I think scripture has a lot to say about uh, how hard we should work. But today I, I'd, I'd planned this and prayed through this. I felt the Lord really giving me Um, some of these points for us to work through to help you realize some areas maybe you need to begin to work hard for the Lord as maybe for yourself in different ways. And so based on these truths, what what should be our priorities? Let's, Let's start at priority number one. We work hard to provide. This is God's part of our plan for the work in our lives is that he would provide for us through it. He doesn't call us to be idle and sit around, but that we would work hard to provide that not only in our lives and in our homes and at our jobs and all those places that we work hard to provide for ourselves and for our families, but also for those around us. I was just praying through Ephesians 4.28, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Exactly what, what Matt was pointing to, right, at the very beginning here, that we can work hard for a good God who may bless us abundantly, but that not we sit idle on the wealth that we've received from him, but that we continue to give generously in the way that he's blessed us to. But we work hard to provide. We work hard to provide in our families a safe, Jesus-centered environment. We work hard in our marriages, right, to focus on Jesus and, and, and to cultivate and grow a healthy Marriage, maybe attend one of those conferences that, that gets you the workbook, right? Whatever that looks like, you know, that you, you walk through and, and wrestle with God's word together. We work hard to provide. 
we work hard. Second, we work hard to protect and create boundaries that honor God. This verse Six, as I was thinking through withdrawing, staying away from those who are idle, I knew this wasn't this punishment, but that um, in hopes that God would, would get, like, grasp their hearts here, right? Those who are idle and meddling and busybodies. But we do, and we should, work hard to protect. Build, build solid boundaries. Build important ones, right? Not only for our, like, our families, but in our workplaces, not only for us personally, like if you aren't spending time regularly with God and his word and opening the Bible, his word, and just reading and, 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 and growing, like I would encourage you to begin to build some boundaries in your life that you set up and prioritize this, right? The time that you spend with God and asking and, and praying and talking and, and even listening, that you would spend time and prioritize this boundary you could create and saying, this time of the day, I know it's just me and God, I need to create it right? Boundaries for our families that we begin to then prioritize maybe our work that we go to monetarily and how that actually affects our family spiritually. That we would build solid boundaries to not fall into overworking. And part of this is rest. And I'd like to sit here for a second because I think rest um, comes so unnaturally to us, but believe it or not, we need to begin to build boundaries and prioritize rest, my friends. The Lord sets us this example in Genesis. At the very beginning, he creates and then he rests. And, and what I know about God, like truthfully, he doesn't like necessarily need the rest. He's God. But yet he chooses the rest as example for us. How, how amazing a good God is like that, right? To prioritize through our purpose this idea of rest. But for some reason, we made rest this concept for the week. Like, even me, like, even, even some of us, like, we watch sports, and when our favorite player is resting, we're like, what's going on? Like, why, what's it, you're so weak, like, come on, isn't this your full-time job, right? Like, what's going on? Like, rest? Why rest? Like, that's for the week. What are you talking about? This really hits us, the achievers. That's me, that's me too. <laughs> like, seriously, right? The achievers' worst nightmare is rest. Because Why? We can fall into viewing rest as not doing anything at all, and thus what are we not doing? Achieving, right? So I had to, I had to create this boundary so, I remember so specifically uh, in, in, a, in a previous job, I remember with my family, and I had to so strategically say, God, I need to work out this rest thing, because I was in a season of no rest at all. I was not, there. rest, no way, right? And so I had to say, okay, God, I need to see rest as an achievement for me. Because God, you're actually commanding me. You're, you're actually telling me that I need rest to obey you, to honor you. And so I had to create rest as an achievement. I know it sounds a little silly. I'm not saying like a gamey thing like, oh, we achieved this and, 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 and like, you know, but like truly like I had to say, okay, God, rest is so important to you. You say this to us today. So I need to create a boundary that says rest is important to me to obey you today. And so I need to count rest as part of the achievement for me. I need to achieve now to find rest in you. What does rest look like? Rest forces us to rely on God. Rest requires us to focus our attention on him. I was thinking of this a little bit, rest and relaxation, although they're kind of like synonymous, they're really different in some key ways, right? Rest leads to peace. 
Rest leads to stopping and finding some peace. Relaxation, though, doesn't so much. Relaxation results in calmness or to slow down, but not ultimately to stop and find true rest. See, at the end of the night, uh, my house is kind of a tornado scene right now, like, like truly, like we have a two-year-old and three-month-old, so juggling both of them. I know some of you have like five kids. I'm sorry. I know I'm new to this whole thing, okay? But like juggling that, it's kind of like this tornado in our house right now, and I'm learning what this looks like because at the end of the day, I don't call Della to just relax. You know what I'm saying? I say, girl, you need some rest, Truly, we're putting you to bed right now. You know, like that's, that's where I'm at the end of our days. They're long and she needs rest. But yet we don't often say that for ourselves. Stopping and being with God has become in our culture and, and has crept into our lives as somewhat taboo. We shouldn't do it. That it's not worth it that what really good could come from it? And if you're answering that question of rest in that way, then I would, I would wonder if you've ever tried it. Because when we find true rest in sitting with God and being with Him, think of activities that find you real rest and not just relaxation, you realize that, that God fills you in a unique and beautiful and bold way because why? He designed you to be in rest with Him. He designed you to be in rest with him. He designed you to work hard and then work hard and rest with him. Here's our gauge, and I heard this from a, a pastor. So I'm quoting this, and it's really good. And I have like, I'm thinking like maybe I should end after this because I think that I was so convicted that maybe some of you might need to wrestle with this a little bit. Um, the gauge is that if work has become an idol, when rest feels like a sin. Work has become an idol in our lives in any way, shape, or form when rest feels like a sinful act. Think about that. When you think of the idea of rest, do you feel that must be sinful in some way? That you're not doing something you should? Or wondering if God's really asking you to rest. That is so twisted because I think that God, uh, and I know that God commands us, directs us to rest in Him. And so we need to look at rest differently. As not sinful and, and wrong, but actually good, good, and life-bringing, and needed. Just as much as my two-year-old needs rest at the end of the day, Lord, help me rest in you, not just through sleep, but in my rhythm of life. So what would rest look like? I think uh, I, if rest can look vastly different to some of you, I would challenge you, though, and I could be wrong, okay? So come tell me if I'm wrong afterwards. Like, I will take it and be like, I could be wrong, okay? But I actually do not think rest is scrolling on social media. Like, truly, I, I don't, right? Right? Because when I, when I scroll, it, it is, their lives are better than mine, their lives are better than mine, I mean, their lives are better than mine, I wish I had that, you know, I wish I could buy that, right? That's not restful. Rest isn't continually uh, watching 
If you're on Netflix and it tells you, are you still watching? You should probably like question if you're actually resting, okay? <laughs> These things can be, rela- can be relaxing. I don't know. I, not for me. Not for me relaxing even. But they're not resting. And here's why I say that is because especially my generation and, and the generation to come has fallen into the trap that this must be some sort of rest that we can find from our lives. When really it just leads to more anxiety and weight to carry and burden through our lives. So consider this, what would be true rest with you and God throughout your weeks? I have a friend, um, I won't name her by name, but she's on staff. She knows who she is. She says like knitting is rest to her. (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) I didn't mean it as a joke, but, but truly knitting is rest for her. I think of knitting, I think of falling asleep. I know I just outed that whole thing for me, but like, but truly she engaged with me and said, knitting is truly deeply restful for me. And that's when I can find my time with God and work, work with him and talk with him and begin conversation. And I'm like, praise God for that. You've found it. And, and there's no found it. There's no, and I'm not saying it like that, like you found it. There's got to be this one thing, this one activity at all, not at all for you. But she's found the place where she can find rest and sit with God and talk with him. And part of it is just knitting. That's so beautiful. I I love that she shared that with me because I could share it with you and encourage you that even something as simple as that can be a time of rest between you and God. For me, it's for me personally, when I get out into nature, I begin walking on trails or begin just to discover something new about God's beauty and the world around me. I find myself to be most like sabbatical sabbath rest with god because i can look around and i know he's listening but i can observe his nature and talk with him for some of you honestly like i don't want to i didn't want to bash at the beginning but but truly maybe taking like taking a second like a moment and say like watching a movie or something like passion of the christ or something or any other movie like it's okay like if it's something like that that would bring you rest like test that but also process and and say, does that really bring you rest with God? But it could be anything, and it could just be silence and you being alone anywhere. But where would you find rest with God? Because he calls us into it and, and, and calls us to obey him through it. Finally, uh, we work hard to do good. This is in verse 13. I love this commissioning by Paul. We work hard to do good. And it's such this beautiful moment because... Um, Doing good does take hard work. And I think naturally in our workplaces, in our culture, right now, the world screams, cheat, lie a little bit, fudge those numbers, it'll all work out, do what's good for you, and it's going to be okay. And so naturally, we work on teams and in environments which just tell you and encourage you to lie your way through just a little bit. And that's not good. And so naturally in those jobs, you know, in those jobs you have that you might find yourself in that environment or those places you work, you find that it's hard work to do good because you're the only one doing it, right? Even in our families, right, when, when it comes to uh, training and equipping our kids, I was thinking of Proverbs 22, 6, right? Train a child in the way they should go and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. But honestly, like some of the hard work you put in with your family, man, you need to work hard at doing good at. 
doing good in all things, in all ways, and, and equipping and training, because part of you might want to say, well, I should put the kids to bed, but there's this really important game on the TV, and, um, you know, I, I should really, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend that time. I don't want to pray tonight. Let's just do another. I'm too tired, right? You need to work hard then to do good. Work hard to do good. I think of Micah 6.8. You can write this down. I, don't, I, I forget if I put it on your note sheet there. Micah 6.8, though, um, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I believe if we put ourselves in a posture to, to sit with God in our rest, to work with Him and, and, and work for Him in all we do and how hard we can work for Him in all we do, I believe if we apply this passage so simply, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, I believe on the other end of that, if you truly are willing to step in and do that, there's so much good. There's so much good. This is where we do right not only by those around us. We do good and impactful things for those around us, but those these are the times like truly when we work hard at doing good that we are on mission. We are on mission to show the world something different that's within us. To invite them into something different that's about us, and that's Jesus. This is our example. This is where we can lead by example in everything we do when we work hard to do good. Finally, so our purpose points to our priorities. Where would you line up then? The purpose of you loving God, loving others, working diligently and hard in the ways he asked you to. What would say then be your priorities for your life? Based on that purpose he's given you. Where might God be encouraging you to create new priorities and new boundaries even on the way to live your life? To not sit idly so much so that those in Thessalonica did. Like that's deeply discouraging that they were just idly like, like doing nothing. Well, they were doing something busybodies, right? Like we learned that, right? But they were idly sitting aside like doing no, no good. How could you build boundaries, set priorities? That might look like you saying no to a time of overtime or just extra work at your job to say yes to your family's spiritual health. That might be saying no to that promotion or that next step in the achievement ladder that your work says is really good. You got to do it. And sitting with God and saying, you know what? I know that to do that would cause this. And I'm not feeling peace about that. Because maybe to work in that next position or do those next tasks would cause deep um, missing on family moments, deep, just hurt within your family. You're not there in the evenings. You've got to go on long trips all the time. Like, like truly, you begin to weigh your priorities then and say, maybe I say no to say yes here because my priority has changed. Remember that our work doesn't make us right with God. I, I want to challenge you with that because it might be easy to hear this and hear how hard we should work for him in all ways and we should find rest, which is also true and good. But the work we do for him doesn't just make us right, right? Faith alone by grace alone. And Jesus alone makes us right with God. Yet he invites us. He invites us by the purpose our unique innate design for us to work hard and all that we do to bring him honor and glory, to show others what it looks like to know God and love him, love others, and work hard 
He begins to invite us into living different. I believe if every single one of you were to take action and prioritize your lives differently, and I, I'm not saying you have, some of you, you feel at peace. God, you, you're rocking the priorities. That's fine. That's great. But even me, like thinking through, how can I prioritize different in some areas? If you were to take that challenge and start working through what it looks like to work hard at prioritizing and working hard for the Lord in that, we could show the world something totally different. We could show them a really, really good God that they're invited to know too. I believe if every single one of us took a step with Jesus this week to work this out, to really work out what it looks like for you to take real rest and make solid priorities, I think the world would look so different. We'd be telling them some really good news, not only by our words, but our actions too. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to uh, do a closing song. And, and, and let me just tell you, like, wherever you're at, uh, you have a step with God in some way. So I'd encourage you as you talk with him this week, even today and tonight, that you would decide to take a step with him in whatever way it looks like uh, to walk with him and, and all work indeed to do good. So Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for just um, bringing us together. Lord, thank you for our friends online. Um, God, we love you and trust you in all things, but God, we, we ask you and invite you. We are willing vessels. God, and if we're not there yet, would you help, help us be willing vessels for you to work hard in all we do to honor you? God, I pray that whatever step we feel like we want to take with you this week, God, I pray that wherever we're at with you, that you would deeply encourage us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and make steps, our, our steps so clear this week. God, we love you and trust you and thank you for your word. And never returns void, God. Work on us. Teach us something new this week in Jesus' name. Amen.